The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Jesus described the Great Tribulation as the greatest time of trouble that will ever be visited upon mankind. According to Bible prophecy, it will occur during the last days or the end time. Jesus warned us in Matthew 24, 21, that it will be a time of great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. This time of unprecedented upheaval in our world is equated by theologians to the time of Jacob's trouble that's prophesied in Jeremiah 37, which says, How awful that day will be! No other day will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but the good news is he, Jacob, Israel, will be saved out of it. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The Bible predicts that our world is headed for a time of unparalleled trouble. But Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus says he wants the minds of his believers to be at peace, knowing that he's coming back for us. And the Apostle Paul spoke of this blessed hope in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, where he said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, Paul said, comfort one another with these words. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, this word mystery in the New Testament doesn't mean something like a murder mystery that has to be solved. No, the New Testament word mysterion means an unveiling of something that was previously hidden or unknown. So Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, the theologians equate the great tribulation period to come as a time of great shakings and sorrows. It's to be what's called Daniel's 70th week of Jewish history, mentioned in the book of Daniel, yet to be fulfilled. But let's focus on the concept of pre-tribulationism. It's a long word in theological and evangelical circles concerning what's often referred to as the rapture of the church prior to the Great Tribulation and the second coming of Jesus. 
The word rapture may be defined as the transporting of a person from one place to another, especially to heaven. That's according to the American Heritage Dictionary. The pre-tribulation view of the Bible teaches the supernatural removal of members of the true church out of the world before an unprecedented time of great tribulation begins, before the outpouring of God's wrath on a God-rejecting apostate world. Teaching concerning the pre-tribulation snatching away or translation of the church to be with the Lord has certain features. First of all, there's a clear distinction between the church and Israel. Both the church and Israel have separate destinies and callings. Secondly, the true remnant church consisting of both Jews and former Gentiles, the one new man, that true church is protected when it's removed from the outpouring of the wrath of God. Also, the pre-tribulation views insist upon the doctrine of imminency, meaning the any moment coming of the Lord in the clouds, versus the second coming of the Lord physically to rule the earth. And there are scriptures to uphold these views, despite many arguments against a pre-tribulation rapture. A newer belief, a variation, is called the pre-wrath rapture which, according to my research, was popularized mainly by authors Marvin Rosenthal and Robert Van Campen. The pre-RAF view holds that the church will be removed about three-quarters of the way through the Great Tribulation period, but that concept would also dilute the doctrine of eminency. Another interpretation of Scripture is the post-tribulation rapture, this view holds that the rapture of the church occurs at the end of the Great Tribulation period when Jesus returns to earth. Well, I've enjoyed eschatology, that's the study of the end times, for several decades, but it has disturbed me how belligerent some believers become when they want to argue against the pre-tribulation rapture. I think all true believers should agree that the scriptures make it clear that we should always be watchful and on the alert for the parousia, which is a Greek New Testament word meaning the appearing of the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote that there's even a crown to be awarded to those believers who love the Lord's appearing. The rapture is supposed to be our blessed hope, but it's become our blessed debate. Recently, two authors, Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. Craig Keener published a book together entitled Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. Their book attempts to counter what some see as escapist theology of the left-behind books and movies that helped to popularize a pre-tribulation rapture. Brown and Keener asked the provocative question, what if everybody was left behind to endure the Great Tribulation and the short reign of the dictatorial Antichrist figure? Brown and Keener claim that Scripture paints a very different picture. They state that God tells His people to expect tribulation and to persevere through it. Yes, indeed, God does say that, and I agree that we're not to be escapist in the sense that Jesus clearly taught us that in the world we will have tribulation persecution, suffering, and 
Some will even be called upon to be martyrs. But tribulation and persecution of believers, which has always been the case throughout the history of the church, is not to be equated and compared to the great tribulation period, which Jesus clearly said will be a heightened, multiplied time of unprecedented sorrows, shakings, and calamities. The great tribulation, you see, is going to be in a league all to itself of suffering, wrath, and judgments. So we have to interpret scripture with scripture, and we can't dismiss the Lord's words in Luke 21, 36, where he warned us. He said, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be counted worthy to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. He was speaking of the ability to escape the coming time of unprecedented grief and dreadful miseries. And if that verse is in the Bible, I'm obligated to consider it. I'm called by Jesus himself to pray that I'll escape. And there are many other so-called rapture references. Authors Brown and Keener purpose to offer encouragement and hope for approaching dark times. And indeed, it's important to teach that God has a plan and he's promised never to abandon his people in terrible days ahead. But what I disagree with is that this book states that much of the Christian church seems to have fallen for a deception, that the pre-tribulation rapture teaching is a deception when in fact it is our blessed hope. And so all this controversy saddens me very much. Brown and Keener believe the pre-tribulation rapture teaching leaves believers unprepared to face coming troubles. They also argue that many Christians in many countries have already been enduring persecution and martyrdom. And they contrast that intense suffering with what they perceive as the Western church looking to be rescued before serious persecution comes. Also, I've noticed that what worries a lot of Messianic believers is that the pre-tribulation rapture teaches that Israel is left behind to face the Antichrist during the time of Jacob's trouble, while the church is happily spirited away to the Father's house. They accuse this teaching as being a form of anti-Semitism. But other theologians see the great purpose during the Great Tribulation of Israel actually finally finding their Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, during that time. The Jews will be double-crossed by the Antichrist, the false Messiah, but the scriptures indicate that they will flee after the Antichrist's abomination in the rebuilt temple, and they'll be protected by God in Petra. This protection and provision by God is not an anti-Semitic teaching in my view. God's providing a secure hiding place for the Jewish people during the time of Antichrist's persecution is a pro-Israel teaching. While Brown and Keener finish their book by describing how Christians should face the tribulation, reminding us that nothing can separate us from the love of the Lord and challenging us to live fully committed to the Lord. They suggest that if we abide in his word, we will be his disciples indeed and we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. I can say amen to that, and there are still plenty of very credible men of God who teach the opposite, 
who teach that the pre-tribulation rapture is based upon the entire tenor of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And many of these men are venerable, such as Pastor John MacArthur, who says that he hasn't changed his view on eschatology in 50 years because he takes the whole of the body of prophetic scriptures into consideration. On the other hand, some theologians take the proverbial razor blade approach and cut the doctrine of the second coming down to the bare bones. Jesus is coming and every eye will see him. But other men of God compile all these second coming scriptures into consideration and find that it is indeed a very complex doctrine. Bible teachers such as the late Chuck Missler, as well as Bible scholar Pastor Derek Walker of the Oxford Bible Church have helped my understanding very much. They have written extensively supporting the pre-tribulation rapture, and they are just as scholarly as Brown and Keener. Although I don't agree with all of John MacArthur's teachings concerning the gifts of the Spirit, I am indebted to him for his careful expositions of Scripture concerning the end times and the rapture described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As I said, those chapters describe an event when believers who are alive will never die, but will be changed in a nanosecond when we're snatched up by a divine irresistible force. Rapture terminology comes from the verb in verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, describing how we'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up is the Greek verb harpazo. The translation from harpazo to rapture involved two steps. First, harpazo became the Latin word raptus, and secondly, raptus became the English word rapture. John MacArthur says harpazo is a very strong word. He doesn't think that the expression caught up really does justice to harpazo, nor does the word rapture do justice to the doctrine, because the word rapture has the connotation of emotion. However, the closest English translation for harpazo would have to be snatch, to carry off, to snatch up, or to grasp suddenly. So if you want to replace the emotive sounding word rapture with snatch, that would be perfectly accurate. Now, I want you to listen carefully to these Bible verses, and I believe this word study will help all of us to envision the great snatch and also it might help you not to be so overly concerned about your loved ones who already have a saving knowledge of Jesus, but who may not be especially looking for him because the word harpazo is used many times in the Bible to describe a violent and sudden surprising abduction. This word harpazo describes the time when the Lord himself will descend in the clouds and snatch or violently seize all those who believe in him in an instant, in a split second. No matter what they're doing or thinking at the time, if they're in Christ, people will be snatched away. You see, believers are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and with their removal, evil can be fully demonstrated by the Antichrist. Harpazo is used in Matthew chapter 11 to describe taking a kingdom by force. Harpazo is also used in John chapter 10 to describe a wolf snatching a sheep 
And it's also used in John 10, where our Lord says that nothing can snatch us out of the Father's hand. Hallelujah. This word about so is also used in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul tells us that he was caught up into the third heaven and he received extraordinary visions. And it's used in Acts chapter 8, where Philip the evangelist was caught up and supernaturally transported by God to another location. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 52, Paul wrote, In a moment, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet is going to sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Because we're going to be snatched up and transformed and translated into our eternal condition, like the risen, resurrected Jesus. And at that time, there's going to be a reunion. We'll be joined together in the clouds with the dead in Messiah, our loved ones who knew the Lord. And they're going to receive their glorified bodies at that time. And so Paul says, we shall always be with the Lord. Well, in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel, we read about John the Baptist. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Taking by force is the verb harpazo, describing a violent act of seizing something forcefully. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, we have the parable of the sower. And in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. It says the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The parable's picture is seed lying on hard ground, and a bird comes and snatches it away. And this describes what Satan does to the word when it's on the surface of a heart. He'll attempt to snatch God's word away from us. In John chapter 6, there's another use of the word hapatso where it says that Jesus perceiving that the crowd intended to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So let's understand the action of this verb. It means a very strong, violent act of snatching someone. Herpazo is also used in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 5, to describe the ascension of Jesus. In that vision that John had in that chapter of a great portent in heaven, we read that the woman, Israel, gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is the Messiah. And it says her child was snatched up to God into his throne. That's referring to the Lord's ascension, described as the snatching up of the Savior from earth into the clouds and into the presence of God the Father. The same will happen with the body of Messiah when believers are snatched from the earth. But critics of the pre-tribulation rapture have argued that this view of the scriptures just didn't exist before it was popularized, they claim, by a 19th century clergyman named John Nelson Darby. But that's a false claim which denies the clear testimony of theologians and commentators of the early church as well as the teachings of Jesus and Paul. John Nelson Darby began to teach a difference between Israel and the church, and he taught a two-stage distinction in the second coming of Jesus. 
Darby saw from the scriptures that first would come the parousia. Remember, that's the Greek word in the New Testament for the appearing of Christ. To snatch all true believers from the earth, causing the removal of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. The removal of the restrainer within the church thus gives the Antichrist free reign to be revealed and to do all of his evil work. Darby's prophetic teaching spread throughout the Plymouth Brethren and it entered the mainstream of American evangelicals. But opponents of the pre-tribulation rapture have tried to discredit Darby with a biased revisionism. Those opponents wrongly attributed Darby's scholarly theological views to the prophesying of an emotional Scottish girl. But the early church fathers had placed strong emphasis already upon the doctrine of eminency long before John Nelson Darby came along. One theologian rightly concluded that this view of the fathers on eminency, as well as some of their references to escaping the time of the tribulation, constituted seeds from which the doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture could be developed. One theologian speculated that had it not been for the drought and sound exegesis, one wonders what kind of crop those seeds might have yielded long before Darby in the 19th century. But furthermore, we do have the examples of pre-tribulation theological thoughts in the writings of a 4th century believer, Ephraim of Nisiblis, who was an extremely important and prolific writer. Ephraim was a major theologian of the early Eastern Church. His sermon on the last times, the Antichrist, and the end of the world was given around the year 373. Ephraim saw for himself the pre-tribulation rapture in the Holy Scriptures. His sermon is preserved in four Latin manuscripts and declared that all the saints and elect of God are gathered together before the tribulation, which is to come, and they're taken to the Lord in order that they may not see at any time the confusion which will overwhelm the world. In this sermon, Ephraim developed an elaborate biblical eschatology, including a distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. He described the imminent rapture, followed by three and a half years of great tribulation under the rule of Antichrist, followed by the coming of Jesus, the defeat of Antichrist, and the eternal state. Also, in the early 14th century, there was an Italian monk known as Brother Dulcino. He taught his followers a pre-tribulation teaching. As leader of a sect called the Apostolic Brethren, Dulcino inspired his people through a time of tremendous persecution from the Pope in Rome. Dulcino and the Brethren anticipated that they would be transferred into paradise in a similar fashion that Enoch and Elijah were taken out and that they would be preserved from harm from the persecution of Antichrist. And after all, both Enoch and Elijah are prefigurements in the Hebrew Scriptures of the doctrine in the New Testament of the rapture. Although time passed and they died, nevertheless, Brother Dulcino discovered these doctrines for himself in the Scriptures. And by the way, the Latin verb that he used for transferred into paradise 
is similar to the English word translation, which is another synonym for the rapture. Then during the Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin also made similar statements concerning the importance of the imminency of the Lord's appearing. When commenting on the Gospels, Calvin wrote that the Lord wishes his disciples to be uncertain as to his coming, but to be prepared to expect him every moment. A noted 17th century Puritan theologian named Increase Mather was president of Harvard College when he wrote that the saints would be caught up into the air beforehand, thereby escaping the final conflagration. Similar pre-tribulation views can be found in commentaries by many other prominent scholars. But these days, there are so many differences of opinion that we can easily be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But the words of the Bible will keep us grounded in the midst of confusion. You see, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the Apostle Paul states that the believers who are alive will be caught up with the resurrected saints to meet the Lord. Where? In the air, in the atmosphere. This fits in with Jesus' own description of his return for us in John 14, where he said he will return to take us back to his father's house. At that time, he doesn't come to the earth to dwell, but he promises to gather us to himself in the clouds and then take us to the Father's house. You have to handle all these scriptures along with differing passages related to the second coming. Rather than catch us up to meet him in the air, at the second coming, Jesus returns to earth to defeat his enemies and send out his angels to gather both living believers and unbelievers for judgment. Well, I hope this has been helpful, and it's my great desire that everyone watching this will be ready and anticipating the great snatch. The Bible teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I encourage you with all of my heart to receive the Lord Jesus now. Amen. And to be perfectly frank, I'm not seeking to get into theological debates, but... We always enjoy sharing points of view and discussions through our ministry on social media. So why not join in the conversation? And at our website, exploits.tv, you can sign up to receive our electronic magazine, Exploits. Also, have you taken advantage yet to explore our Jerusalem Channel app? It's available free to download from your app store. And so until we're together again, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Daring. Shalom and Maranatha.